<laughs> Wait, what? October is upon us, and the veil to the spirit world is thin. Tonight, I'll be telling the true tales of ghostly encounters. So sit back, grab your crucifix, and settle in for a night of terror. Just kidding. (laughs) It's not that intense, but spooky nonetheless. Today, we'll be recounting some of the stories that you submitted over the past month, as well as delving into some of my own ghostly encounters. My mom will also be joining us as she recounts some of her scary tales as well. So I could admit that I'm a pretty spiritually sensitive person. I always have been since I was a kid. And many women in my family are extremely sensitive as well. Like, my mom knows when someone is about to pass. It's kind of uncanny and really creepy. Her and I have this some sort of weird mind reading thing where I'll say something and she was thinking it or vice versa. And it happens all the time. And she brought our old dog Lucy back from the dead on accident. It's <laughs> it's kind of a funny story, and we'll get into that later, but it was pretty intense. So our lives have always revolved around the supernatural in some form or fashion. I have a really, really strong intuition, and I see things with my mind's eye, and I feel energies. Sometimes it's super exhausting. But ever since I was a kid, I've always been able to like walk into a house and know if there is a lingering energy, a spirit or a bad vibe. It's always been extremely important to me to delve into the unknown. I feel like it's part of my soul's purpose to be here to experience the supernatural and to relay that to others and open their minds to things that they would never even consider before. Because magic is real, people. It may not look like how it's portrayed in movies, you know, like all the sparkles coming out of a magic wand when you cast a spell, but it's definitely in the palm of your hand, and you can either use it or not. Everyone has abilities they can tap into if they choose. And as we'll hear in this first true story, sometimes you're pulled into it without knowing how you got there. Submitted by Marika, I call this story A Mother's Love. My mother died on October 7th, 1996. About a week or so after she passed, I dreamt, and it's hard to even call it a dream, that she was walking into the living room of the house where she grew up. I was standing there totally stunned, and I said to her, How can this be? You died. And then she looked down at her own body, and said, Oh yeah, this is my astral body. It was such a shock that I immediately woke up. What got me was I didn't even know the word astral body. So the first thing I did in the middle of the night was get the dictionary to look up what it meant. Astral body, the subtle counterpart of the physical human body, which does not usually separate from it in life and surviving its death. Okay, so it's a soul. I saw my mother's soul? It got me super curious. So after some exploring, I found a book about astral projection where my story truly begins. 
Astral projection, which is a term used in esotericism to describe an intentional out-of-body experience, or OBE. So basically, our souls, or astral body, or whatever you want to call it, can leave our physical bodies and travel around. After reading this book, I talked about it with a coworker, and I kind of joked around, saying, if I can succeed to do this, I'll come see you. I never thought it would actually happen. Until it did. One night, after falling asleep, I became very aware that I had just left my body. It felt like a centrifugal force pulling me up from the crown of my head. And I thought, now what? And then I remembered I told the coworker that I would come and see them. And as soon as the thought entered my mind, I felt myself traveling. I know it sounds really weird, but I was traveling as energy, and I somehow just land in his bedroom. I look across the room to see two people under the bed covers. I could hear the rustling of the sheets, and I couldn't actually see if it was my coworker, but I did feel it was an insane invasion of privacy and that I shouldn't be there. And as soon as that thought crossed my mind, I felt myself come back to my physical body almost immediately. And I know you're probably thinking this woman is crazy, but this was as real to me as any experience in my waking life. This was not a dream. And I didn't know how to explain it. So I just tucked it away and forgot about it for many years. But it was always in the back of my mind that maybe one day I'll travel again in my dreams or whatever they were. Around November 2010, I was having a really, really hard time, and I was struggling about how to get out of my 15-year relationship, but not sure if I would be able to make it on my own. I had two kids from a previous marriage, so I felt a bit stuck. On this particular night, I had gone upstairs early to bed, feeling exhausted from the day, but around midnight, I was woken up by a noise coming from downstairs. And honestly, I got really pissed off thinking that my older daughter, who likes to stay up late, was having friends over and just being loud. I got up out of bed to tell them to knock it off. And as I approached the landing, staring back up at me from the bottom of the staircase was my mother. My immediate reaction was to run down the stairs and fly into her arms and wrap her in the biggest bear hug I could. She felt so real. This felt as real as being awake and hugging a real person. And the next thing I know, I wake up in my bed. I was so confused. I realized that I had never even left my bed and the house was quiet, but it felt so real. After tossing and turning a bit, I eventually fell back asleep, and then it began again. I woke up, and I walked across the bedroom to my door, and I looked back toward my bed, and there, lying in the bed, was me. I turned back toward the staircase and left my body lying asleep in my bed. I was relieved to see my mom still standing at the bottom of the stairs, 
and I instantly wrapped her in a hug again. I woke up feeling utterly flabbergasted, but full of love. It was her. That was my mom. I truly believe that my mother came to me that night to encourage me to take the steps and end the relationship that I was in. And I did. Three months later. And it was the best decision I ever made. And I think she's been sending me miracles since. And admittedly, I haven't astral projected since I saw my mom. But I know that ability is within me if I choose to tap into it. And that experience with my mother, I'll never forget it. Thanks, Mom. Wow, that was really, really scary. Like, that's creepy. <laughs> you should have had Uncle Pat on here. He he flies. He flies around? Yep. Really? Yep. In his dreams? Yep, him and Aunt Cheryl both. What? You didn't know that? No, I didn't know that they astral travel. That's the truth. He always tells me that. Welcome to the podcast, Mom, by hey. the way. <laughs> yeah, Uncle Pat does that. He'll tell me all the time, Mary, I was flying. And he's like, don't you fly? I'm like, no. The first time I ever heard of astral projection was from that show on Disney Channel. It was called So Weird. Remember that show? I remember the name. In the darkness is the light, out of shadows of my life. It had Molly Phillips in it, oh, or please, please. Mackenzie Phillips. Yeah. In the darkness is the light. That's mm. Anyway, so one of the episodes was um, about a girl who astral traveled. When I read this submission, I was like, oh my God, this is such a, like a so weird moment. Yeah. <laughs> I was hanging out with one of my friends from high school, and her husband's friend was thinking that he was going absolutely insane. He was going to an insane asylum, actually, because he he literally was flying in his dreams. He was traveling and it freaked him out so much. And he had no idea what astral travel was. And so when I was talking to her, I was like, girl, he's astral traveling. He doesn't need to go to like any hospital. And she was like, oh, my God, I'm going to tell my husband to tell him. Holy crap. And I think a lot more people than we know actually do that. You're just scared to say anything. I mean, because it does sound crazy, but it's not really that crazy for your soul to kind of leave your body and fly around. I mean, there's there's mine's exhausted. My soul ain't going nowhere. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) bitch, I'm tired. (laughs) Bitch, I'm tired. I ain't going nowhere at night. (laughs) Fucking, I'm my soul better be resting. I'd be pissed. <laughs> I'd be like writing myself a bad reference letter. <laughs> and it's cool that the mom came back. I always told you, when you die, you better haunt the shit out of me. Yeah. Will you? Yep. Okay, good. Well, what are you going to do? I don't know. I hope I have wings, though. I really want a pair of wings. <laughs> I do. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. No, I mean... You're going to be able to fly around and do all of the things. That'd be fun. I think when I see a bird or something... Yeah. Like, when you die... I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's not talk about you dying. Why did I even bring that up? Um, okay. <laughs> Speaking of, like, family members dying, um, remember when we saw Pop-Pop in the front yard? I... What a smooth segue that was into our own personal story. (laughs) Amen to that. I'll never forget when I was walking across the parking lot, uh, my father was in in care. In hospice? In hospice. And I was running across the parking lot because I heard my brothers like screaming like our names and stuff. 
And I remember my mom, I was on the phone with you, actually. Mm-hmm. And my mom was outside with a, one of our nieces in a stroller. And apparently, I didn't see any of this, but the baby was looking at something. And I heard my mom say, what is the baby looking at? And just then I turned around to look. But my was I was on the phone, and God knows when I'm on the phone, I can't pay attention to two things. Yeah, it's so annoying. <laughs> and um, I just remember seeing this like crystallized smoke. It's not even no, that's not the right word. I don't know what it was. Energy, and I saw it float above, right through them. So you were on the phone with me during this time, but you did not explain any of what you were seeing. You were just kind of talking to me about Pop Pop passing yeah. away. So the the funeral happened. There's a story in of itself with the funeral with grandma, but we're not going to get into that today. But after the funeral, I was sitting on the front porch and it was evening time and I was thinking about Pop-Pop and, oh my God, I'm going to cry. I was thinking about Pop-Pop and I was thinking about all the times that we had. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the front yard, I saw this smoky like swirl happen it was it like kind of came and it just appeared in the front lawn and normally i see things in my mind's eye and this was one of the like one time out of maybe five times in my life that i actually saw something physically and it struck me so hard and i was like oh my god that's pop pop i wasn't scared or anything i just the smoke thing just drifted up into the the sky And then two seconds later, literally two seconds later, you come out of the door and you say, I just saw Papa. (laughs) And I was laying in the living room and it was a hard day. And the same image came. I literally sat up on the couch and I heard, I'm okay, three times. And then like, I couldn't believe what I was hearing or seeing. What were you seeing? Stuff they put on TV almost. It almost looked like a swirl. It was. It was like a, like a S swirl, like tornado-ish. Yeah. He said, I'm okay three times and then left. And I was so shocked. And I was like, did I just fucking just see that and hear that? And I walked outside to tell you, and I said, I just saw Pop-Pop, and you were like, oh, my God. I just saw him, too. And I'm like, that's because he just flew out the window. And then we both said (laughs) window at the same time. (laughs) He just flew out the window. Because he did. He did. He He just just... evaporated through the window and went outside, and that's where you saw him in the front yard. And it was so crazy, because, like I said, I didn't know what you experienced in hospice, and I didn't know what you experienced inside the house, but we saw the same exact thing. Did Aunt Cheryl see something too? No, she just said, of course he'd come to you. (laughs) (laughs) You were his baby. And then I'm like, go fly over there then. I don't know. (laughs) So I told everyone at the beginning of the podcast that I have very sensitive women in my family. Amen. Yes, we do. I think we were all like a witch coven back in the day. I swear. I really think that what we call witches are just people that are really in tune with nature and in tune with the energies around them. And it's really not that mysterious. And they're listening to their intuition. Mm -hmm. Because I've noticed that when I say something and not think about it, not try to explain it, not try to anything, if I just say it, 
it either usually happens, have had happen, is happening now, or is getting ready to happen. I've and I just feel like they're fleeting thoughts instead of fleeting messages. And I'm starting to slow down and listen to those messages because I get a lot of messages. And yeah, they you hit me really hard sometimes, and I do say them out loud, but then I freak myself out. We'll be back with more creepy stories after we hear from the sponsors that make this podcast possible. I've been on a glow-up journey, y'all, improving myself and my teeth. I've been discreetly straightening my teeth with Bite Invisible Aligners, and I freaking love it. Bite has made improving your smile affordable and accessible, working with a network of licensed orthodontists and dentists who prescribe at-home day or night treatments. No expensive office visits, just fast and professional results in four months, and most plans can be covered by insurance. Every doctor prescribed treatment includes their hyperbite device, teeth whitening treatment, free retainer, and a lifetime guarantee. Start your bite journey today by clicking the link in my show notes and using code Mandy Brooke official for $200 off your treatment. Smile big and begin your glow up journey too. Red light therapy can cost an arm and a leg, but Huga Health has made at-home red light therapy devices affordable and effective. Using red and near-infrared light, Huga devices stimulate your cells to produce more energy, improve the elasticity and collagen production in your skin, grows your hair, lowers inflammation, decreases muscle pain, and so much more. As a skincare junkie myself, I've been using my Huga devices for over three years. I love my Pro 300 device, which I use for five minutes a night before applying all of my lotions and serums. Click the link in my show notes and use code Mandy. Brooke for 10% off your Hugo red light device. I will always remember when I broke my, my wrist outside in the front lawn and you were at the door, you knew something was about to happen. And I remember you saying, I had a really bad feeling and I was running out the door when you started screaming. No kidding. Yeah. I don't even remember. See, like that stuff like that. Shit like that happens all the time. What we're experiencing is paranormal fatigue. (laughs) It's an actual real thing. Really? When there's so much paranormal activity around you, you forget it because it's just part of your normal every day. And I find that a lot. Like a lot of the things with my intuitive readings or when I talk to people and I have messages for them, I forget them. I don't even remember what I say. And then years after they'll come to me and they're like, I will never forget what you said. I'm like, what did I say? Or just like ghostly encounters that Mm. I just forget the details of because it just happens so often. I forget sometimes. And when it clunks me over the head, when there's no denying it, that's when it's like, maybe I should start listening to my intuition a little bit more because every time I do listen to it, it's right. And I think the key, too, is to not overthink it and not judge it. That's the thing. That's that's my problem sometimes. And unless I'm completely in the mode of giving messages or channeling, I literally judge everything that comes into my gut or something. Not so much anymore. I try not to anymore. But it's really important to be aware to not judge it. Because like you said, it'll just come to you and then you just know it to be true mm-hmm. and that it is true. Mm-hmm. 
Well, one thing's for sure, Mom. We sure do love ghost hunting shows, don't we? Yes, we we do. (laughs) Ghost adventures, ghost hunters. Sundays, rainy Sundays, sitting there watching ghost shows. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we see these ghost hunters bite off a little more than they can chew, as we'll see in this next true tale. Submitted by Caitlin, I call this story The Asylum Whisperer. Ooh. Mm Mm-hmm. Picture it. It was 2006, 2007, the height of the reality ghost show. Me, a recent high school graduate, with nothing but time on her winter break, convinces all of her friends to sneak into an abandoned, insane asylum on the outskirts of Atlanta. During those many spooky trips, I packed an old high school backpack with an assortment of ghost hunting tools, like a Ouija board, a rosary, candles, and my camera. My friends and I would sneak through the fence and walk through the asylum lobby and take a self-guided tour to the morgue, where I would play the main character in my own ghost hunting reality show. But aside from orbs, Nothing really happened. Until one night. This asylum was known for housing hundreds and hundreds of people until it shut down in the 80s due to lack of funding. They left absolutely everything there, including files, beds, bed sheets, chairs. The only thing missing were the patients. And it felt like they were still there watching from the dark corners of the rooms as we wandered the halls. And we were definitely not the only people to go into that hospital. Rumors started circulating about a homeless person who would wait at the bottom of the staircase and rip your flashlight from your hands. And we saw the evidence, all of the flashlights laying all over the floor. We also heard the rumors of the drug addicts who overran the guard shack and the little ghost boy who lived on the third floor. Before this particular visit to the asylum, I decided to up the stakes a little and buy a voice recorder. I wanted to capture a real EVP, electronic voice phenomenon. And with my best friend, Jen, we ventured up to the third floor to a room where it was rumored that this little boy ghost liked to play. This particular room was huge and full of hospital beds. And aside from some broken windows, it looked like all that was missing was the residents. The room was eerily quiet and still. I unpacked all of my equipment onto the floor, grabbed my voice recorder, and started using everything I learned on Ghost Hunters, asking the questions. Is there anyone here with us? Can you make a noise? What is your name? After a while of seemingly no interaction, we decided to pack up and go downstairs to meet with the group, and we eventually left. A friend who drove us had to stop for gas, and Jen and I took that opportunity to sit in the back seat and listen to our voice recorder. Maybe we caught something. Admittedly, it was a lot of nothing. Until I asked the question, can you make a noise? 
and we hear in the smallest voice possible a quiet whisper saying, Stay away. Stay away. Jen and I absolutely lost our shit, and the excitement of actually capturing real evidence of a ghost kept us coming back to the asylum over and over again, especially on our college breaks, until, eventually, the asylum was torn down and built into a skate park. But we never had an interaction quite like that. Creepy. Well, I'm going to say this. I don't want no dead people talking to me. Like, I don't understand why people go to those asylums and do that. That's creepy. It's all people in the world. I can't imagine being bugged to death when I'm dead. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> and I mean, right? Like, and especially if you're in an asylum, like, you're fucked. You don't know what's going on. <laughs> And, like, you don't even fucking probably know you're dead. <laughs> and these people are coming, and they, you're, no wonder they're fucked up. They're probably talking to you, and they're dead, and you don't know. Oh, my gosh, yeah, they probably feel like they're in a perpetual sane asylum over and, and over and they over again. are. Oh, my gosh, yeah. It's like bucking them to death. But, I mean, people don't know that, but I'm just, yeah. The so. one thing the one thing I don't fuck with, and I know you don't fuck with either, is, is a Ouija, Ouija board. board. That no. is crazy. You're nuts. <laughs> I would never touch one, look at one. I don't want to see the box. I don't want to see the boxes, boxes, box that it's in. Mm-hmm. I do, I do. I, you know what? I don't even want to know you if you own one. I just, I'm good. I have this weird thing where I know if a Ouija board is around me. That motherfucker would move all over the place, start spelling shit. I don't know how to spell. It would be all fucked up. (laughs) We really don't know how to spell. You cannot come back to me in a Ouija board because you'd be like... (laughs) like. Trying to spell something, you'd be like, Mom, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Are you spelling fart? Like, what are you spelling, Mom? Um, That's hilarious. One time... I was in Nashville and I went into this antique store. It was really old, never been there before. And I walk up to the counter and I felt this awful energy. Like I felt something so, so dark. And I went up to the counter, looked at the guy and I said, where is the Ouija board in this place? And he said, how did you know that there was a Ouija board here? And I said, I can feel that motherfucker. Where is it? And he said, it's, in a back cupboard, like locked. It's old. It's very old. Ooh. And we're about even to worse. Mm-hmm, and it, we're about to refurbish it. I'm like, do not touch that. Don't sell it. Don't touch it. Don't don't do anything with no. that. And he got all freaked out, and I left because I was like, I I ain't staying Mm-mm. here. Fuck that. Mm-mm. You don't know what you're bringing in there. You, you just don't know. You really don't. So a word to the wise. If anyone wants to dabble in spiritual stuff, do not use a Ouija board. It it opens gates and opens doors that you cannot close. I don't recommend it. I just said clothes. Like, <laughs> you can't close that Prada down, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but you can't close those doors once they're open. And I've known quite a few people that have had pretty terrible experiences with them. All I know is if somebody was trying to contact me through a Ouija board, I would spell out, it's wiener time. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I brought Lucy back to life, and 
That's some scary shit there. You did bring Lucy back to life. Let's tell this story. Let me tell the listeners a little bit of background. So we had a black and white dog named Lucy. How old was she when she passed? Uh, About 15 and a half. And she was a barking, bratty Jack Russell with the biggest personality. The hugest. Hugest personality of any dog I've personally ever met. She ran this household. We lived in her space. Let's get that correct. Okay. She had us trained, not the other way around. She did whatever she wanted, whenever she wanted, whatever she wanted. It didn't matter. And you and Lucy became very, very, very close. She was my baby. She was your baby. And I was so stressed out, and she felt it. You could see it. She was gloomy and just wasn't herself. Anyway, one particular day, it was extremely bad, and... Your stress level was bad. And um, my husband, I left the house. I was like, let me get out of here. And my husband called and said, you need to get home. I think Lucy's dying. And, of course, I rushed back home. We sat there patting her. You have to understand that Lucy didn't stop. She was always moving, always running, wagging her tail, barking, making herself known. She never stayed still, even hardly when she slept. And she was laying there for like an hour and a half. So labored breathing, her tongue was hanging out. She was laying there. She was dying. Yes. And she wasn't responding to anything. And I had my right hand on her like chest. And my left hand was petting her. Anyway, she passed. You could tell. I could feel it. Her heart stopped. My husband said, Mary, she's gone. We didn't say anything for like a minute and a half. Felt like probably was like 30 seconds, but it was felt like forever. And he said, she's gone. And I literally went into her neck and I screamed, Lucy, don't leave me with with such emotion and such. I don't even there's not I don't even know the word. I dug down in her soul and literally like 10 seconds later her eyebrows started moving and my husband almost shit his pants and then i kept saying lucy lucy and petting her and damn if she didn't open her eye and it was the most fucked up thing i've ever seen because she was gone she was gone i couldn't sleep all night because i was watching her holding her everything like that he got up at five and i was already up (laughs) he walks around the corner And the first thing he says is, did I really just, like, witness that yesterday? Like, was that, like, a fucking miracle or some shit? Like, what happened? She was dead. And my dad is a very stern... Matter of fact. Matter of fact. No bullshit. Like, bulky man. He's, like, a man. And, like, for him to have the emotion that he has when telling that story, rarely, he the rare times that he does, it, I know that to be true 100%. Like, it affected him. <laughs> it fucked him up. It fucked him up. <laughs> and then we saw Lucy in the sky a couple days later you after sure she actually... did. So Lucy proceeded to zombie pet cemetery live for like two years or almost three years after mom brought her back from the dead. She sure did. So when she passed away a couple days later i was working 
on the computer and mom tells me, Mandy, come outside. You've been working all day. De-stress a little bit. Take a break. Take a break. So I was like, all right. My mom loves to look up in the sky and make pictures out of the clouds. She's always like, oh my God, there's a turtle or there's a fucking tree. And I'm always like, I don't see what you're seeing at all. (laughs) I never see what you're seeing. But you're just so enthusiastic about it that I'm just into it too. And she looked up at the sky. She's like, oh, look, there's a flower. And look, there's a dog. And I look up and I'm like, oh, yeah, I I see the dog. And it looked like a dog in movement. It was leaping over something. All of a sudden, mom and I are staring up at the sky and we literally see the clouds morph into a literal portrait of our dead dog, Lucy. It was her. It was her. It was so clear. And it only lasted for like maybe five full seconds. And I go... Mandy, that's Lucy. And I'm like, holy shit, that is Lucy. (laughs) The crooked ears. She was smiling. You could see her black and white, like, spots. It was nuts. I can see her right now. She was in the clouds. She was in the motherfucking sky. Lucy in the sky. Yep. With diamonds. She was letting me know she's good too. See, Mm -hmm. people can come back and let you know you're good. Like my dad came back and said he was good. Lucy came back and said she's good. Like, there's always signs if you look. I'm obsessed with the sky. So, nighttime I'm looking, daytime I'm looking. It don't matter. You're going to be a bird in your next life. Fly far, far away. Love is a really powerful thing. It's almost like a dimension in of itself, bringing spirits and memories back into physical reality. And as we'll hear in this next true tale, love always finds a way back. Submitted by Rebecca, I call this story, Love Never Dies. My husband, Jeff, passed away on July 27th of this year. It was very sudden, and we're still unsure of the cause of death. We are both 34 years old. It's insanity, and it's been really hard for me to wrap my mind around not having him. My story begins exactly two weeks to the day after Jeff's death. My best friend Caitlin flew in from Colorado to stay with me, and I was so thankful, because the thing you should know about me is I'm usually very uneasy at night. I'm absolutely, utterly terrified of the dark. I'm not exactly sure where this fear came from, other than the fact that I did experience a lot of trauma as a kid, and to this day, I can't watch scary movies. And it also doesn't help that my house is a little haunted. See, my black and white dog, Abby, my princess and the light of my life, loves to randomly stare in the dark corner of my room and bark incessantly. It's always that dark corner. Her cattle dog senses are insane. And with her expressive ears, they tell me that she's really sensing something. It's the only activity I've ever experienced in the home. But still, I was thankful to have a friend to keep me company while I felt so raw. On this particular night, Caitlin and I were getting ready for bed 
and I walked into what used to be Jeff's office to shut off the window AC before we went upstairs. I didn't turn on the light. It was still pretty dark, but I knew Caitlin was just in the other room, so I didn't think much of it. I walked over to the AC unit, and all of a sudden, I hear this loud crash next to me. I screamed. Caitlin came bursting into the room, and I'm desperately trying to tell her to turn on the light, turn on the light. The switch was across the room, and I was too frozen to move. After the light was switched on, I saw, finally, what crashed on the floor next to me. It was Jeff's belt. I was relieved to find the source of the crash, but it still seemed impossible because his belt was usually laying on top of his standalone closet. And then I looked up, and there, teetering off the edge of the top of the closet, was a brown portfolio binder. I've never seen it before, so I grabbed it. And when I opened it, I was shocked to find a life insurance policy on Jeff. I was a bit dazed, but Caitlin brought me back to reality and said, Jeff is trying to help. I felt thankful, but I also did ask him to stop scaring the fuck out of me in the future. But since then, I see a lot of dragonflies, which in my family represents a spirit visiting you. And I like to think it's Jeff making sure Abby and I are still okay. So what'd you think of that one? I think that one's incredibly sad. Rebecca and I have exchanged quite a few emails since then. I I can't even imagine what she's going through right now. It's so fresh. And when it hits so hard like that and so so sudden, she needs to keep be aware and watch and listen to her gut and her instinct and her subconscious mind because he might tell her other things you don't know i'm sure he i'm sure he is especially when it happens so sudden like that that's that's terribly sad i mean i don't think anybody's there to scare you no really honestly i think they're there just either they don't know they're fucking dead or or that they're trying to tell you something i think jeff knew he was trying to tell her and she he was trying to tell her hey I'm trying to help you out. Mm-hmm. Look at this life insurance policy. I got you, babe. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the dragonfly. I think for each individual, the signs would be different mm-hmm. depending on what... What you would familiarize yourself yes. with. Yes. Like for you, it's cardinals. And Aunt Debbie came back as a cardinal because she always said, I'm going to come back as a cardinal. Yeah. They're sending their energy out to... Let you know that they're they, they're thinking about you. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. to send a message. Or to send a message. Gosh, remember the cardinal that kept hitting our window? We had a cardinal after my sister passed away, right after she passed away. I think it was days. That this cardinal kept hitting our front, our back patio doors. And, I mean, I would have to tell people, like, 
that have come to visit. You're going to hear a tapping at the back of the door. Ignore it. You know, it's it was all day long, all day long, every day for like two years mm-hmm. it, to the point where it would be bloody on on yes. the window because he would beat so hard on that window. Yeah. And then we finally got a mirror and put it on the side of the fence and it started going to the mirror and mm-hmm. then I don't know where it went. Maybe she picked a, the wrong cardinal. He was a little confused, I think. I don't know, but that was annoying. People, <laughs> people would, like, come into the room and be like, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. It was, and they'd watch it, it remember? Yeah. It was crazy. We got some weird shit that happens to us, that's for sure. When I was little, my Uncle Donald used to live in this haunted house in a big, old, white, with vines crawling up the side, like very mossy, humongous like house that used to be a plantation home. It was in Baltimore. It's no longer there anymore. So if you could look for it, it's not there. But if you're from Baltimore, it was on Crane Highway. Um, in where Glen the, Burnie. Where the split goes. But anyway, um, I think there's apartment complexes there now. What a shame. And he was a grown-ass motherfucking man and he would always take me up my cousin and I skating to the roller skating rink and so we were there all the time and he sometimes would not sleep in the house he never slept in the bedrooms upstairs he always slept in the living room downstairs on the couch wow or in the car you said he would sleep in the car do you think he took you to the skating rink all the time because he was trying to avoid what was in that home I know for a fact he didn't want to be there by himself. They did have a cemetery in the backyard, and there was like, uh, I don't know, eight graves. Oh, my God. One of them said George Washington on it, too. And really, I wonder what they did with them before they put the apartment complexes up there. And they owned the land next to it, too, at one time. They had sold it off, but they used to hold the Glen Burnie Carnival on that land. And... um, Put it this way, anybody I told that my uncle lived in that house on Crane Highway, they all knew what I was talking about. They were like, no shit. And, you know, some people tried to become friends with me to see if I'd take them there. So everybody knew it was haunted? It looked haunted. Yeah. It did. But we would have some parties there. It had one of those um, double doors on the second floor. You could go out on top the porch, right? And there was no railing or anything around. It was completely and utterly fucking dangerous. But And when my parents would have um, cookouts and stuff there, they'd be out there playing horseshoe. We'd, we'd all be stealing beers, drinking, fucking drunker and shit. They had no idea. Wow. But um, I spent the night there very few times. And the last night I ever spent the night there, we, we were sleeping on the couch. How old were you? I was about 13. And the couch opened up like a futon, I guess, now a days. And I was on one side and my cousin was on the other side. And we had been messing with the house all day long. We had no idea what we were doing. But... What do you mean messing with the house? The lady who owned the house was like freaking 100 years old. She was one of them little tiny old ladies. She only came like once every three months. So Uncle Donald was the caretaker and there was an older lady that owned the home. Yes. And you were messing with the house. How? There was a whole bunch of stuff there. And so a lot of 
a lot of windowsills and a lot of nooks and crannies had a lot of character and we would just move this vase three inches to the left <laughs> and then we'd move the candlestick like in a different room and shit like that and that bitch would come through there and she'd pick everything out and we'd do it on purpose just to see if she'd catch it wow and she caught it every motherfucking time let me just say that were the so, items that you were messing with antiques from the house i'm sure yeah that's probably why she was so particular about yeah. where they were okay so you're 13 or 12 you're in this futon in the living room and all of a sudden we kept hearing stuff and i'm just like i wake my cousin up i'm like what what do you hear that and she's like yeah so went back to sleep she went back to sleep. I know I went back to sleep because all of a sudden that freaking couch flipped <gasps> and I flew across the room and landed about six feet from where that freaking couch was. Oh my God. I thought you were only touched. No. What? It wasn't like a weight shift or anything. And we had spent, you know, a few nights on that couch. It didn't never move or nothing like that. So that was the last time I ever spent the night there. What happened after you... I was just shocked, and I remember her eyes being really big, and we woke my Uncle Donald up, and... Who was sleeping where? In the... He wasn't sleeping in the bedroom, <laughs> I'll tell you that. He was sleeping in the other room on the couch, and because nobody slept upstairs. I'll never forget my Uncle Donald tell me this one story. He said that he was asleep one night and he heard this like you know how hard paper hits like a piece of wood yeah and he got up turned on all the lights because he's he was always scared anyway and he looked around everything and he couldn't figure out what it was because he knew every creak of that house he heard it again and he turned on all the lights and long story short there was a picture inside of a picture frame the picture frame was not turned upside down, but the picture inside the picture frame was turned upside down. Oh, my God. He laughed, and he <laughs> said he, he three, that was three-nighter. He didn't go in there for three days. Holy shit. Yeah, he didn't even touch that place for three days. That honestly. ghost was real pissed at you for yeah. fucking with all of the items. Yeah. So we would spend pretty much every weekend together, but we spent it at my house. Yeah. And... Uncle Donald hated that because then he was by himself. Mm. That's probably why he drank so much. Boone, Tickle Pink Boone's Farm. That's what he used to drink. Oh, my god! He used to have a big old bottle underneath his driver's seat. There was many mornings my brothers or whatever would pull up to meet him for work, and he would be in his truck or car sleeping. I wonder if whatever is built on top of that land, be it apartment buildings or professional buildings or whatever i wonder if they're haunted there's a story behind that house i'm mm -hmm. telling you with them graves back there and that house the way it was you never know maybe i'll look it up and let y'all know and if you're listening to this and you're familiar with the area of glen burnie and crane highway give us an email at haha wait what at mandybrook.com i would be really curious to see if anybody knows where that was or remembers that house oh they remember <laughs> so as you and i both know ghost tours can be pretty scary i love them i love them too and as we'll hear in this next true tale sometimes they go a little awry okay let's go let's go submitted by rachel i call this next story the ghost tour 
Oh, that's original. <laughs> I couldn't figure out a name. Mm -hmm. My story begins one late October evening in Ybor, Florida, close to Tampa. My friends were having a Halloween-themed wedding, and I was thrilled to be chosen as the maid of honor. On this evening, I decided to surprise the bride and bridal party with a nice dinner and a spooky ghost tour. Ybor is a really historic city, and apparently very haunted. I thought it would be a really fun way to bond with the bridal party before all the wedding festivities. They're not necessarily believers in the supernatural, but I knew they'd be good sports about it and enjoy the history at the very least. But personally, I'd consider myself a pretty supernaturally sensitive person. I don't get specifics, just people's feelings that don't belong to me. We were told by the ghost tour to meet at a specific restaurant, a joyful Florida tourist trap covered with eclectic memorabilia, serving a decent burger. But the cheerful atmosphere stood in stark contrast with the restaurant's tragic history. According to the ghost tour, this restaurant was built on the site of the oldest schoolhouse in the area, where a fire tragically killed children and teachers inside burning them alive. The bodies were found where the women's bathroom now stands, which, according to the ghost tour, was the most haunted place in the restaurant. I definitely laughed it off over the phone, and we even joked at dinner about who was brave enough to go pee first. But my laughs subsided when I finally decided to venture in. Walking into the bathroom was like being dunked under cold water. The air felt really thick, like the thickness of Florida's humid air when a rainstorm is coming. And a feeling like I was moving through crackling electricity. I finished my business as quickly as I could. And as I was washing my hands, a sob bubbled up in my chest followed by feelings of immense dread and panic. As soon as I left the bathroom, the feelings thankfully disappeared. I quickly brushed it off, just thinking that I was scaring myself from all the ghost stories I was hearing while making the reservation. The ghost tour required us to download a phone app where they used a radar of sorts to indicate spirit activity, specifically voices. There were different colored dots shown, green, yellow, red, blue, which our guide later explained indicated different volume levels of the ghosts trying to talk to you in the area. And sometimes a word would pop up on the screen. Green was a whisper. Yellow was a normal volume. Red was angry. And blue, well, blue was scoffed off as loud drunks. Hardly any dots showed up in the restaurant, until you entered the bathroom, where lots of green and yellow dots appeared. Lots of whispering. We met the guide after dinner and followed him out of the restaurant onto the historic streets of Ybor. I was still trying to shake off the creepy feeling I had from the bathroom, 
and thankfully, the guide told us a few feel-good stories in the beginning. But as it got darker outside, the stories became more and more sinister. The final story in particular being about the son of the wealthy owners of a local funeral parlor. The guide started getting really into character for this one, talking about how this seemingly charming son had a real love for prostitutes. Prostitutes who mysteriously went missing. Even though it was never proven, it was suspected that this quote-unquote charming son was actually a murderous psycho and definitely knew how to operate his parents' crematorium. I was wearing fishnets and a miniskirt, which made me feel just as in character as the guide. We made our way up the steps to the building itself, now a law office, when all of a sudden, a searing, hot pain shoots through the top of my skull. It seriously felt like a knife. I tried to ignore it and listen to the guide, but it kept getting more and more painful. Then I noticed another girl in the bridal party wincing in pain and holding her head too. Everyone was looking at us like we had frogs coming out of our mouths. And then, just as suddenly as the first, another stabbing pain through my left ear. The guide noticed us and took our pain very, very seriously, as if he's seen it before. He asked us to go sit down and take a breather. We walked back down the steps to sit, but the pain was still at a 10, so intense. So we walked to the speed bump in the parking lot where the pain was still just as intense. It wasn't until we walked entirely off the property that the pain immediately subsided. Needless to say, we did not return to the property that evening. Before leaving Ebor, the guide told us to tell all of the entities from that night to go away and that they weren't allowed to follow us home. And as we drove away that night, we made damn sure to yell those words all the way out of Ebor. You know, you might want to question that little hooker look. Oh my god! <laughs> you know, I did find it funny that she was in a miniskirt and fishnets, not judging what other women wear, of course, but that spirit probably identified them. They're like, oh, oh that's yeah. the prostitutes that I like to kill. Like, yeah. you know. Ugh. Yeah, let me bang you over the side of the head, bitch. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> you're such, you're so horrible. <laughs> that's what he did. I mean, yeah. No wonder they felt... He probably took a board or something and banged them bitches in the head, killed them, and then did whatever he did. And so they're feeling like something in their head. That's Well, she said it felt like a knife. And I thought that that was really hmm. telling because she was like, and then it happened in my ear. What if he was just like some sick psycho that would like stab people's heads? Yeah. <laughs> that would be... That, that's creepy. I don't, I don't like, I don't go in places like that. So when I was reading all of these submissions, I did a little background work. I asked follow-up questions as well as calling this particular restaurant that she said that she went to. Of course, I didn't add the name of the restaurant for legal purposes, but I did call and I said, this is the story that this woman told and I'm doing a podcast. Can you expand upon it at all? 
And the hostess actually contacted the manager and she relayed to me that there is a lot of like haunting ish things. They weren't familiar with the burning of the schoolhouse, but she said that one of her employees will not go toward the bathroom. Like, and he feels things. Apparently there are a crap ton of stuff that moves and flies off the shelves. They, yeah, they told me quite a bit. So it's very interesting. There was a bar here in town. I'm not going to mention. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. You're going to tell this story. Yes. Tell it. Okay. So I had no clue whatsoever. And I, when we first moved here, I used to work at a bar and had upstairs and upstairs was the office. And that's where you go at night and pay your stubs or whatever. And we worked at a bar, so we kept everything in our apron. So we had a lot of money on us. Anyway, every night I would try to hurry up and get my stuff done. So I would have somebody to walk upstairs with. Because just the fact that I was opening that door and walking up them steps, I knew there was such a, such a foreboding no, it would not let me go up those steps. And if I did have to, if I was like the last one and I had to run up there, I literally would have to psych myself up like an idiot and run upstairs and run down the hallway and then give them a ticket and then try not to make a big deal out of it. Like do it again to get back downstairs. Oh my gosh. Or I'd give somebody else my ticket and be like, hey, can you just hand this in for me, please? And they'd be like, yeah, sure, no problem. But most of the time it was late. It was three, four o'clock in the morning. And so it made it even more creepy. Mm-hmm. While long story short, I heard years later, that place is notoriously haunted and has a lot to do with the upstairs. There was rumors all going around and I've heard it several times since I've been living here. I've actually never looked it up because I don't need to because I know that place is I don't like it up there. <laughs> I So the end on that, hated that. So that particular restaurant you're talking about, they renovated the top of it. So now it's the speakeasy type of uh, boudoir looking place. It's very cool. And one time I went up there, I was quite drunk and I kept seeing in my mind's eye this woman, and I know what she looks like. Like, she she was a, an older woman, and I don't know if this is true or not, but, like, falling down the stairs. I kept, I kept always feeling like somebody was going to fall down the stairs or I was going to fall down the stairs, and apparently that's what happened there. Yeah, the outside steps. So I guess the last thing we'll talk about on this episode is the ghost in our house. <laughs> Fred. (laughs) Fred. When I was a little kid, the family computer used to be in my room in the corner. And I would often wake up in the middle of the night to that keyboard going all the time. That's crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. I woke up one night and um, when you were younger and your keyboard was sitting here and I kept hearing the keyboard play and I was like, son of a bitch. So I, and I'm a really, really deep sleeper. And I'm pissed. And I get up to freaking come and unplug the keyboard because I'm thinking like the air conditioner's hitting it a certain kind of way or something like that. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. I was fucking asleep. And I went to unplug it and that motherfucker was unplugged. And I was just like, oof. So got completely creeped out and grabbed a blanket, threw it over the keyboard and went downstairs and woke my husband up and said, told him what happened. And he was just like, just go back to sleep. Because <laughs> he was so concerned. That definitely happened. I heard the keyboard. 
I, I sleep like a rock, like a bomb could go off and you're not going to wake me up. So the thing about our house is it's on a plot of land where there was a lot of history here. There were archaeologists at one point excavating some sort of fort or something across the lawn in our neighbor's lawn. So there's a lot of history here. And I would often dig up like old plates, old forks all around the neighborhood. When Pottery. Yeah, a lot of pottery. And so living in this house and growing up in this house, I've often felt that there was something here, especially in the hallway. There's always stuff going on in the hallway. When you're sitting in the living room at night and you're watching TV, you can always see like orbs and just things yeah, just are flashing through the hallway all the time. I just, yeah, started calling it Fred. Yeah. So you guys wouldn't be scared, but I knew it wasn't not going to hurt you. And it comes and goes too. Just hanging out. Yeah, I hadn't been here for a while. We were doing a lot of renovations back then when we first bought this house. So, so Fred came back probably during that time. Watching. But I think he likes what we did to the house. So one time I took um, a, a psychedelic mushroom and I was... Sometimes you tell me too fucking much. I, you know what, Mom? I'm just going to tell you what's happening in my life. Whatever. Go ahead. Whatever. I took a mushroom. That's and terrible. Go ahead. <laughs> it's not terrible. It, it expands the mind. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, expanded my mind to another entity in the house. I was sitting in the living room, and all of a sudden, I just sense and almost see, in my mind's eye and also physically, this very tall man that I knew was not Fred. It didn't feel like Fred... It was just this tall man, and I just call it the tall man now. I know it's around the house somewhere. It's weird that you said that, because I told my mother, I thought, I don't know. I saw a man one time in the hallway leaning against the wall, and I know exactly what he looked like. If I could draw worth a shit, I would draw it. But um, anyway, when I described it, my mother was like, oh, that sounds like my father. So maybe it's my grandfather. Oh, because I didn't feel any fear when I saw it. I was just like, I kind of looked over and I was like, oh, there's... Tall and lanky. Yeah, he was tall and lanky. Lanky, lanky guy. That's weird. Mm-hmm. When I saw him, he was kind of like, you know how men used to put like one hand in their pocket, like that 1920, like kind of... Crouch with the cigarette. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he didn't have a cigarette, but he was kind of leaning against the wall like that. And I was like, huh. So I personally think that there's some sort of portal in what used to be Samantha's room, my sister. It's always coming from that room. My office used to be in there. And I remember specifically recording a video for a brand. And I couldn't use that recording because orbs would were flying through the video. I hope I can find it. They weren't bugs. It was legit big orbs. You better not be duster bugs. I clean this house all the time. <laughs> you I'd do. I'd be pissed off. <laughs> anyway. So anyway, I don't feel like the ghosts are nefarious in any way, but they're here. We need to sage this house after telling all of these stories yeah, for do. sure. Actually, yeah, we're going to do. So are we done? Because I want to go smoke a cigarette. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I guess we are done, Mom. Okay. So I'm going to go smoke a cigarette, which is totally unhealthy. You probably shouldn't do that. And so, yeah, peace out. A-town down. 
I hope you loved this creepy episode of Haha ha, Wait What. And if you did like this podcast, please subscribe, share, and review it so it becomes more visible to besties like you. And if you have your own supernatural paranormal story, please submit it at haha wait what at mandybrook.com with the subject line paranormal story. Maybe you'll hear your story on air too. Until next time, be a fucking delight, bitch. Bye.